We are Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Hey folks, welcome back. This is the third and final part of our very mini series on inflation and what to do about it for e-commerce leaders. So we've talked about the problem and the factors behind it, supply and demand, government policy being the basic two areas. And we've probably got a fairly clear conclusion that there is inflationary danger in future and there is kind of a pretty major inflation right now in prices that many importing e-commerce leaders are facing particularly. So we talked in the last episode about the first five of 10 practical responses for us. What can we do about this as e-commerce operators? If you missed that, it's probably wise to go back and listen to the previous episode. Uh, Today, we've got the next six, seven, eight, nine, and 10, and then a bit of a a thought from Jason about how we need to respond to this sort of emotionally or mindset wise. So stay tuned. Uh, As ever, if you want notes, go to theecommerceleader.com. Meanwhile, I'll leave you with the rest of our 10 things you can do about inflation. Please do take note of this stuff. I I think inflation sounds sound like an abstract thing for economists until it hits you personally in your business. And I think if it hasn't hit you yet, that wave is going to crash over the bow of your little ship. So I would, if I were you, take this subject pretty seriously. Thanks in advance and enjoy the show. Okay, so what's uh, number six on our list here? Well, number six is to doing your best to proof against more raising of the prices in the future, because there's no guarantee this is the worst it gets, frankly. So there are various things you can do. For example, if you are still importing from abroad, you can fix your foreign exchange rates rather than relying on what you call spot prices. And if you're, for example, based in the USA and importing from somewhere else, that has a you know is not linked to the US dollar, or if for example China decides to break that link, then you may well wish to fix at a point where you you can get I don't know you know one if you're importing from UK for example it'd be pretty unusual but possible then you might want to fix right now where one dollar forty will buy you a pound as opposed to one fifty if you think that's where it's going. Well, okay, so break this down for mm-hmm. like you lost me a little bit on this one. I think it's called so forex futures. Basically, yeah, it, you need to think about where where the value of the currency is going to be in six months' time versus where it is now, for example, and you can fix your contract to exchange one currency for another now, and then exchange it in six months' time for the price you've agreed now. Well, that's fancy finance, man. It is fancy finance, but if you're importing, you know, a million pounds worth of stuff or a million dollars worth from, from China a year, as some people I know are, then that, yeah. that can really move the needle like a, quite a lot. Uh, it's an okay, important so one to consider. the process steps are fix, do, do Forex stuff first, then do your purchasing order details need, with China? Like, yeah, I, you've I'm, lost, I'm, this is all new to me. So Yeah, I mean, look, it. what I would say is talk to the I'm professionals. I'm just a dumb guy from Seattle trying <laughs> to make a living on the internet. Yeah, no, what I'm, do you I'm do? kind of the same. But, you know, broadly speaking, you speak to your, your currency exchange specialist. So I mean, you use World First, for example, that I used to use and say mm-hmm. that I want to buy, you know, 100000 or whatever, $10,000 worth of products from China in three months' time. What's the um, exchange rate right now between the currency I'm using and the currency mm-hmm. uh, of the factory? So it sounds fancy schmancy and it's certainly not something I'd suggest you go straight out on the back of this podcast and do. I think you need to talk it through wow. with people yeah. who understand their business. But the point is, it sounds again like why would I do something fancy like that? Well, actually, because if the currency moves against you by ten mm-hmm. percent, that's a huge increase in your okay. in your costs. Actually, it's not subtle. This is very interesting. 
I've never heard somebody doing this before. Uh, and I would assume that when you're a part of a sophisticated mastermind group in London, they talk about <laughs> such things. You and, know what? Uh, we haven't mentioned it enough. This interest. We have in the past. It's very yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. All right. A, I a love less, that. a less complicated thing. And by the way, you know, who moves first? Did you get your purchase order, and then do you talk to the guys? I would talk to mm. the currency people first, and then line up a potential price, and then I would go to the factory, and then it's a negotiation where you line up the pieces of the puzzle. I would say. Mm -hmm. The other thing you can do, and this is less complex, and this could apply to anyone in any country importing or even sourcing more locally, is this: that you agree prices and you set up a purchase order now, such that you gain. Mm -hmm. You you don't necessarily have to pay people now if you set up the cash flow arrangement. Mm -hmm. You pay in tranches or chunks. Mm -hmm. um, so the typical arrangement in China would be that you order, say, a year's worth of product now, and you you put down, uh, you know, uh, a payment now and get three months worth of of inventory made, and then in three months' time you put another payment down, you get another three months made, and so forth. And the reason you might want to consider doing that it's it's often a way to get better pricing anyway. It also smooths out the cash flow whilst getting better pricing. So your profit and loss is your unit economics improved. You get higher profit per unit without killing your cash flow, right? So it's always a good plan anyway, or to consider. But in this situation. I'd be strongly tempted to fix it because I think if you take a view, and this is why you have to form a view, that your particular commodity in your particular factory or sourcing area is going to go up in price or could go mm -hmm. up, mm -hmm. that you might want to fix that price now so that if it goes up in six months' time, you fix the price. That's smart, man. That is really smart. All right, man, you just like dropped some knowledge bombs on us. <laughs> yeah, people are saying in the chat, that's a good one. That, that's an interesting... I think most people have never heard about anything like that. Okay, so what's the... what's the seventh thing in our list. Yeah, the reason, by the way, people won't have heard about it is because you need to be quite, a, you know, doing some quite biggish numbers for it to make yeah. sense. But yeah. I mean, it, it certainly does make sense if you're doing bigger numbers. The second thing is really, the seventh thing, sorry, is cash flow is king. So if you can improve your so supplier credit with factories or distributors, if you're buying from distributors, if you're reselling, the same economic supplies as much as possible, even if it's just using a credit card, your local Walmart, if you're doing retail ARB, then that's really going to help your cash flow. And, and cash is really king. Like if you run out of cash, yeah. that's when it's game over if you can survive the difficult periods then and your competition doesn't then you you can mop up the market share so it's a huge competitive yeah. advantage just to quote survive so anything you can do to imply improve your cash flow including supplier credit is the best possible one yeah i have a client we worked with previously who was quite good at such things he used to be a pricewaterhouse cooper cpa type guy corporate you know uh finance guy when he, he would work with clients on their side of things. So when he launched into e-commerce, he was actually, you know, super professional at all those kinds of things and scaled his business to seven figures really, really quickly. And it's just continued to grow. And so we asked him about this topic at one point and he said, well, he said he, he negotiates his um, terms with his suppliers as aggressively as possible. So, you know, 30 days, 60 day, uh, 90 day, you know, purchase you know, invoice, you know, payment terms. So he doesn't have to pay, you know, for a month or two or three. And he's got the product in hand. And then he said on top of that, when he does pay, he uses a credit card, which gives him another 30 days of really, you know, not, not, not needing to have actual cash fly out the door. And, and, and then he has a bank loan that he uses. So he's really gotten like two or three layers of cash preservation strategy 
that he immediately installed in his business. And I was like, dang, that's how the pros do it right there. And by the yeah. way, if, if you know somebody like that and they're in your mastermind, then you've got to pick their brains, you know, take that mm-hmm. out for lunch, you know, do mm-hmm. whatever you need to do to learn those strategies thoroughly because in conjunction with your accountant, I would always account mm-hmm. advise that. These are super smart things to do because if you've got a stack of cash at home, you can survive pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So cash is king is your point. I love that. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's next? What's eight? So proofing gets uh, higher future interest rates. So this is a sort of a knock-on effect of inflation is what happens with central banks pretty much always and forever is that when inflation goes past the point where they feel comfortable with it and, and the economy is, quote, overheating or whatever you want to call it, then they tend to raise interest rates as the main lever they have to lower inflation over time. And what normally happens is you've got a horrible period where you have you have low you have high inflation, which is not good, and then you have a terrible period where you have high inflation and high interest rates, and then after that it gradually the inflation drops, and then the governments tend to back off interest rates. So the last time in the UK that happened really was like the late eighties when people got up to fifteen percent mm-hmm. interest mm-hmm. rates on their mortgages, which was horrendous. And the people right. I know from that era were just basically living on ramen soup, as you would call it in the states, and and uh, having lodgers in their houses, and goodness knows what to survive. Okay, so you so- really want to proof against that as much as you can so what you're saying is interest rates are going to be rising is the thesis there and therefore and therefore either uh get out of any type of variable financing Mm -hmm. get fixed financing or just get out of debt because you don't want to be in a position where you have to borrow money at a really high interest rate in the next few years and it could be a decade or more or whatever who knows it could yeah. be, exactly. And the thing is, there's a few different things. I mean, I would say that, that getting your cash flow sorted out is the number one thing you can do, because that means if you do mm-hmm. end up unavoidably to some degree paying a, a great deal of uh, interest, then if you've got a cash cushion and you've sorted out your cash flow arrangements, then that will guard you against that completely taking your business down, or it should help guard against that. Yeah, I mean, one of the risk mitigation strategies is simply to reduce debts. But as you say, uh, quite accurately reducing debt with a variable interest rate on it and that's kind of the key i think yeah okay and then that leads us to number nine which is or you could go into debt <laughs> yeah so now this isn't something i've got much much knowledge on, on exactly how this would work in in e-commerce uh-huh. so i think again you would really 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 want to talk to an expert in this a cpa at the very least but probably you know talk to bank managers and, and get get a real feel for this but basically the idea is pretty simple debt's cheap right now and if you mm-hmm. can fix the low interest rate so similar to how mortgages work for a five-year fixed term in the uk or in the us i know that you guys can get up to 30 years fixed which is amazing i only wish we had that then if inflation rises you have if you've got fixed interest rate you won't be subject to the horrendous interest rate rises but if inflation goes up a lot then the debt value goes down a lot in real terms so let me explain that so if you have a hundred thousand dollars in debt and inflation's around say seven percent annually in 10 years time the value of that money will be in today's terms, only half of that, so $50,000. So effectively, you're inflating your debt away exactly as the government's going to run the inflation or the economy will do the inflation. We don't get to control that. But in that environment, it makes sense to have large debts if you can manage the repayments because the value of that debt shrinks very quickly in an inflationary environment. All of us who are older, I'm 50, so I can say older, who grew up in California have seen such things before. I mean, my father-in-law talks about when his home in, which is north of San Francisco, Petaluma was a little town. When they bought it, they had 18% interest rate, you know, but they were able, I was like, how in the world did you, like, did they, you know, what? Like, like, what? Like, how did you get approved for, like, it just doesn't make sense. But 
of course, those homes only cost like a tiny amount now in today's dollars. I mean, you know, so that's the weirdness of what could be you know, occurring. So let me make this very practical for e-commerce operators listening to this. If you have a facility that you currently rent or lease, you could buy something at a fixed long-term loan rate. And even if your payment is a little bit more than your rent or lease amount, then you're basically effectively cooking in your facilities cost for the long term. Now, if you're growing super fast and you know you're going to outgrow your facility that you might be able to afford to buy, that doesn't necessarily solve all the problem, but it solves part of it because you could buy something now, call it your, you know, administrative office or whatever, and then still lease warehouse space or, you know, that kind of thing. So this gets very practical for us as uh, e-commerce operators very quickly when we start talking about facilities. Do we use a 3PL? Do we have our own facility? Do we, and if we have our own, do we lease it or own it? You know, Cinnamon and I bought a building last year, huh. closed in November for just these reasons. And yeah. now we've got cooked in our math. I, I I know exactly what my math will be for the next 20 years. Yeah, that's superb because you've got so much predictability on a big mm-hmm. side of the business. Mm-hmm. What I would say, you're, you're saying, by the way, <laughs> for what it's worth, my instinct, uh, and this is a wonderful insight, I hadn't thought about this, buy an office and lease warehouse space. I'm like, buy warehouse space. 3PLs are Both. bursting at the seams mm-hmm. and Amazon yeah. is just shutting down yeah. basically their heat capacity in the UK and Europe and they're not yeah. far off in the USA and they haven't even hit Q4 yet. Not nowhere close. I would I would buy warehouse space right now and uh, if I could get it in long-term loan at, at yeah. a fixed rate, I mean, that so makes sense. I mean, whether you're using it or somebody else is using it, you're going to make money for sure. It, and, and who cares about the appreciation of that asset? Like that's not even the factor. Yes, agreed. But, yeah. And who cares about inflation? All you care about is what is my facility cost right now, this year, in, in this profit and loss statement I'm looking at this month, this quarter, this year. And what could it be if my landlord doubled yeah. or tripled my rent or lease payments? Now, Good if you're point. in a fixed lease for yeah. a certain duration, you better realize those guys would very, very quickly execute on any change they can when they can. I would yeah, think. Yeah. I mean, I just it is speculation. Yeah. But you know, that's something to think through. And uh-huh. uh, so that's how this, I think, going into debt, you know, most people are like, go into debt? No. But if you say, well, do you own your own office? And have you talked to your CPA about the value proposition of doing that? Because you can, of course, take uh, depreciation in the U.S. They have something called accelerated depreciation, Mm. uh, which actually helps you on your taxes. So that component of this whole, this 10 steps, that might be the diamond in the rough that people need to explore. And you might say to yourself, I can't qualify for very much. Well, go find out what you can qualify for and think through your facility needs. And try to zero out that risk. Anyway, so yeah, that's I, I love that topic. Oh, I love it. This is fantastically so. practical. And and you yeah. know, by the way, if you think smart about the the other factors we talked about, the supply chain side, we haven't even talked about the the dearth of warehousing space. But it's it's huge. It's a big big part of the supply chain issue. All mm-hmm. the way from mm-hmm. you know the raw materials where they can't they haven't got enough space to short store the iron ore yeah. to the factories in China, all the way through to the USA and and Amazon's mighty FBA system. So. So, uh, yeah, having your own warehouse space is incredibly smart for yeah. all those reasons. <laughs> very, very good type indeed. Good question just popped in from Helen. She said she got contacted by a company recently. It was an angel investing company that makes investments in people's companies. And 
the question is, have we talked about angel investors already? And here's what I would, so that's a great question. Here's what I would say. In tumultuous economic times, good businesses get better and bad businesses get worse. And the opportunity to buy businesses is there for people who have strong balance sheets and have cash and ha- you know have credit. And the opportunity to 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 look into buying distressed assets is com- clearly going to be there. And uh, but on the reverse side, your own situation needs to be examined. And if you're in distress, if you're you know really you know struggling financially, then part of the question is: Do you sell off part of your business to recover, or do you sell your business, or do you take you know you, what mitigation steps you take? I would rather be a buyer of businesses than a seller of my business. And in essence, when you take angel investing, you're selling your business. You're selling part of it. And so, it, you know, you have to decide what's right for you. All things being equal, if you need money then the question is, what's the best source of money? And in my view, the best source of money is a loan product that you know exactly what you're getting into rather than giving away partial ownership. Because when you give away partial ownership, you have a new voice in your head, which is called your investor. And that angel might seem like an angel, but you know those cartoons that are like an angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder? They might quickly change shoulders. And rather than them saying to you, hey, here's a bunch of money, they might say, hey, why didn't you hit your sales goal? Hey, where's the profit? Hey, why did you make this change in your uh, product strategy? Hey, I've got, you know, a new sourcing strategy I want you to try. And any voices like that in my mind, I would quickly be like, please go away now. I'm going to be running my own business the way I want. So that's the tension in that whole, you know, conversation. So what are your thoughts? I think I'm not sure it's how directly relates to inflation. I guess inflation kind of touches everything. So I guess it touches sources of cash and they are a source of cash. I take your point. But I would say, yeah, it, it doesn't directly, it's not as directly impacted by inflation. I mean, loan products, to your point, Jason, I think are often the you know as the owner you literally keep a lot more control uh-huh. and it's a much more defined relationship with a beginning and an end once you paid back your money they have no no say in uh, no no hold over your business and i guess but by the same token yeah the loan products are where you really need to be aware of inflation rates because they tend to drive interest rates i mm-hmm. guess but yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. i would say I just saw, as a side note, Combert, an article that said it was something to the effect of, in 2012, Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars. In 2021, Instagram is valued at a hundred billion dollars. And then it, the other one was, like in 2008, I think it was, Google bought YouTube for $1.65 billion. Today, YouTube makes $1.65 billion every three weeks or some crazy thing like that. You know, so just this question of like, what's the value of assets is really going to be, you know, it's re- it's really in, in flux now. So anyway, that goes it into is. this a bit, but it's, it's tied to inflation questions. I was yeah. going to say that's, yeah, that's a slightly different discussion, which I think is yeah. a very, very good one. I've talked with multiple, multiple business buyers, and that's certainly one that we could definitely address actually at some point soon. But uh, Let's I would pull say- the trigger on our last topic, which yeah. is number 10. What is number 10? 
Number 10 is bypass the issue, which is always my favourite. I wish I'd talked about this in the beginning, but the only reason I didn't is because most people are simply geared to physical products. But obviously, Jason, your entire business has been based on digital products for many years, even though you started physical. Let's just go digital Um, because physical goods are subject to huge inflation due to raw material shortages. Moving atoms, as they say, takes real effort work compared to moving electrons. And the, the infrastructure for moving electrons has not been overwhelmed. We are fine at, you know, with the odd zoom call exception <laughs> we're fine at moving electrons around the world but atoms are getting very very hard to move i.e., physical goods so the obvious thing is to really major on digital products to an extent you may never bothered with before you could in absolutely have to it yes. sounded like a nice theory and we've talked about it before yeah and we've discussed that at length because you're an expert at this jason so we have a ton of content on this whether it's books to drive people onto your physical products all the way through an online sale courses costing a few hundred dollars or communities costing thousands. I mean, Jason, you are the master of this. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think you're completely right to suggest it as a strategy. I would say that what you want to think about is, is there a digital product uh, that you can add to your product mix? And we just did a training uh, a couple of days ago for our CEO small group mastermind. And, and the training was all about how to create a digital product and the use cases for digital products. And we went through a whole bunch of use cases and did the, tra- the training and, and it was fantastic. Helen and Cinnamon led the conversation you know, to, you know, my wife is Cinnamon and Helen is one of our fantastic members. She's listening to this episode right now. And so it was a great conversation and it really is timely, I guess you could say, because when you realize your margins are getting really, really pinched on your physical, you know, uh, goods, you you do start to it begs the question: What else could I be selling, and how do the economics work? And what I said to the the comment, uh, what I made a comment of in the, this training that we recently did was: Look, let's just say you just pick any number you want, but let's let's just say you, you do. Uh, $100,000 a month in physical products right now. And you know that you do your profit and loss statement, which you should all be doing. So you know that your net profit is, let's just say, $17,000 uh, a month. If you added a digital goods line of sales, that was maybe, let's just say, you sold $10,000 a month of digital, but you keep in your pocket, let's just say, $8,000. Then that $8,000 added to the 17000 is a radical increase to your net profit. But you've only increased your top line by $10,000. So you see how that works. The near zero marginal cost of digital goods is very, very attractive business to be in. And if you can figure out a way to bolt on digital goods to your existing product line, then it is something to pursue. And it's not free money and it's not easy. And there are staffing costs involved. And the staffing cost is where the inflation will, you know, it's like it gets you anywhere. It can, but on the staffing side, it will come back and get you. So I would just say, I think you're, you're right to have this on the list. And there is opportunity there. And I would just say, don't look at it as an opportunity to get into a new business. Like, oh, now I'm going to sell t-shirts on Amazon through merch. Like, because that's all digital. That's not the goal here. The goal here is to say to yourself, what is my current customer that I currently serve buying? And what digital related component could be added to the mix for that current customer? It could be a membership program. It could be a you know a subscribe and save type 
recurring monthly payments. It could be many things that are in essence digital abstractions. And those are the things to think through and to start to invest into. And yeah, so there you go. I, well, we've talked a lot about this in the past and it's we almost have. like me. I'm like the, what's the guy? His voice crying in the wilderness. It's like the, the you know, the one that is trying to say a message and no one's listening to, but yeah, anyway. but what I'm saying is we've talked about it before and it sounded like a nice thing to do one day, maybe if I get round to it. Right. Now, what I'm saying right. is now is the, time, is the time to do it because yeah. it's absolutely critical right, right, to right. reduce, you know, to, to change that relationship between, as you said, the top line and the bottom line. And and that's really yeah. where digital goods are so yeah. strong and they are not susceptible to pretty much any of the factors we talked about today. I mean, there's Except the odd staffing. thing. Except staffing, so staffing yeah. costs. Yeah, yeah, of course. Right. I guess what I mean is that the, the cost of goods sold is, is yeah. pretty marginal and therefore you're not subject to that and you're not subject to freight or raw raw materials uh, issues at least. So No, here's yeah. the only, just the final twist on this before we wrap up. The only difference between the digital goods businesses and the physical goods businesses, as the internet founder, Tim Berners-Lee said, information wants to be free. And so if you have an information business or digital goods business, you will find price pressure from your competitors as they demonetize the information. And so the real challenge in that space is creating a digital product that you can maintain your pricing power with, and you can have over time not be demonetized. And the destructive power of demonetization of digital goods is very, very present in that space. So it's just not all like, you know, rainbows and unicorns and stuff like that. It's like there's real there's real sharks in the water there. But nonetheless, you're, it is a valuable thing to think through. Can I create a digital product and sell it to my existing customers? And the economics are valuable. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and to your point of the demonetization and just, you know, the information wants to be free. I, I mean, I guess we've all seen that over time. But what I would say is even if you can get a product line or two out there that lasts for two mm -hmm. years or one year, mm -hmm. that's not very different to the physical product space in my sure. experience. There is a yeah. lifetime that it will have a profit for that's actually quite circumscribed and on amazon it could be as little as as 18 months or two years sure. if you yeah. even if you've engineered a unique product so yep. to that point i think everything gets kind of demonetized i mean it looks like it hasn't been because it still costs ten dollars but if it costs you twelve dollars to import it then it's actually a negative in terms uh -huh. of profit and loss so it comes to the same thing it doesn't look like it to the naked eye to the consumer yep. it doesn't look free but to the person in the middle it is effectively free. Yeah. So, yeah, you make a good point, but I would say, nevertheless, e even compared to physical goods, that, that's actually a problem we all face, really. So, uh, yeah, it could be that digital goods time has come, finally, mm -hmm. to actually do it. You won't be the voice crying in the wilderness. You'll be the leader yep. of the brave new world, I hope. Well, let's wrap this topic up. I want to give a pep talk to all listeners right now as my concluding commentary. And, and, here's the, and here's the pep talk. We've just given you a list of 10 things that you can do to effectively take control of the situation you find yourself in. And the worst thing that you could do is feel like victim status has overwhelmed you and you don't know how to act. So I would say, as the old war generals used to say, a good plan violently executed today is better than a perfect plan tomorrow. And I would just stay super current with what's happening in the environment, make decisions, even if they're hard, about how you do or don't pass on costs to your customers and how you manage your business successfully for the long term. A good business gets better over time, even during economic difficulty. A bad business gets worse over time. 
even in good economic conditions. And that's Warren Buffett's basic thesis. It's his phrasing. And I would just encourage you to continue to refine the basic principles of your business, have a profit and loss statement that you look at uh, monthly and review to with the eye of inflation and costs and uh, you know pricing. And uh, you'll do well through this economic period of transition, in my view. Excellent. I like your uh, optimism. Is it worth um, just quickly recapping? Because it's quite a lot for people to take on board. Uh, recap the 10 points. Yeah, go for it, man. Give okay, us the just, just quickly, because there's obviously a lot to take on board. And, and you know, this yep. is not going to be quick, instant wins for anybody. And I'm not pretending it is. But the first one is, as you're saying, really do your homework and take a view on what's coming. I think it's the job of the CEO to see round corners. And to your point, I guess that's one of the characteristics of the good businesses rather than the bad ones. They're proactive, not reactive. Second one is simply raise your prices. Now, that really depends, as you said, Jason, have you got pricing power or not? If you have, you can raise them anyway. If not, then it's going to depend more on uh, your competitors and what they're doing. Step three is, uh, number three is you can source more locally, maybe even not importing if you have been. Number four is make the most of government money if you feel willing to do so. <laughs> I think in the Britain, we're okay about that. In, in America, I understand that may not be the case all the time. Number five is see the danger of raised taxes coming and form a tax strategy and make sure you have a great CPA or tax accountant. Number six, proof against raised pr prices with uh, foreign exchange practices that are wise and talk to a professional about that. And maybe agreeing prices in advance with your factory and putting a one, you know, having an agreement to buy at today's prices. Make sure you improve your supplier credit or get your credit, your cash flow sorted as good as possible. Number eight, uh, proof against higher uh, interest rates in the future. The simple version is reduced debt. Number nine is you can add debt with a fixed low interest if you're really cunning. And obviously, Jason's uh, ideas about real estate with warehousing and, and business, you know, business offices are really really smart in my opinion and number 10 you can bypass the issue of all the physical movement of goods and the the inflation of raw materials by going digital so those are the 10 wow love for. it man hey this turned into a really good topic and it's timely it's top of mind for everyone they're hearing about it in the news so i really really appreciate the opportunity to dive into this one with you michael so let's let's wrap it up here but i just want to say for anyone listening we really really value your feedback and your subscribership on whatever podcast tool you use and love your highest and best review on any of those as well. It's an honor. Our subscribers and listeners continue to grow. And uh, this is the most popular e-commerce podcast on the internet if you use a dash between the E and the C. And uh, so that's, which is the proper spelling, by the way. So we're honored by all the listeners and it's fun to get emails and get messages with people giving us positive feedback. So thank you all for, for helping us make this show a success. Michael, as always, it's an honor and I really appreciate your insights into all these great things. So check out the ecommerceleader.com if you uh, would like. And uh, Michael, thanks again. Thank you. That was the e-commerce leader podcast with Michael Vesey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.